Hello and welcome to Pardes from Jerusalem, the podcast series from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. My daughter has pointed out blossoms on the trees here in Israel, and that means that Tuvishva is coming. This is a special podcast for Tuvishva by Rabbi Meir Schweiger. Rabbi Meir Schweiger is a senior faculty member at Pardes and also serves as a Pardes Mashkiach Ruchani, the spiritual guide for Pardes. You can learn directly from Rabbi Schweiger in person at the Executive Learning Seminar that's this summer. And there's lots of other summer activities too at Pardes. Now is not too early to think about coming here for a learning session at Pardes in Jerusalem. You will have a marvelous time. Please check out all the details at pardes.org.il. And now, Rabbi Meir Schweiger. Thank you, Larry. This week's parsha is Parshat B'Shalach. The Shabbat is also referred to as Shabbat Shira, because on this Shabbat we read in the parsha the song which the Jews sang at the Red Sea when they were delivered from Pharaoh and the Egyptian army who pursued them who ultimately drowned in the sea. But this Shabbat is also a very special day on the Jewish calendar, known as Tu Bishvat, the 15th day of the month of Shvat. And today what I would like to do is examine what makes this day special. Let us begin by noting that there is no reference to this day to be found in the Tanakh, in the Bible. The first reference to this date is in the Mishnah, in Masechet Tractate, Rosh Hashanah, Chapter 1, Mishnah 1, where the Mishnah begins by noting that there are four new years. Now, of course, we are familiar with the first day of the month of Tishrei, which we call Rosh Hashanah, which we know as the day of judgment, as the day of remembrance, as a day of solemnity, but also festivity. But the Mishnah, in fact, notes another date, the new year of the trees. And in fact, there is a di- difference of opinion between two schools, famous schools of rabbis, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai says that the new year of the trees is on Rosh Chodesh Shvat, the first day of the month of Shvat. Beit Hillel says it is on the 15th day of Shvat. And we know that generally whenever there is a disagreement between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, the law is decided according to Beit Hillel. What is the significance of the new year of the trees, the practical application of this is in the realm of tithing. To ascertain to which year do we ascribe a fruit when it grows. If the fruit has begun budding, the beginning of its growth, before Tu Bishvat, then we ascribe it to the previous year. If it begins budding after Tu Bishvat, we ascribe it to the current year. What is the logic? There are two explanations which are offered. 
One explanation is that most of the winter rains have already fallen by Tubishvat. Hence, if a fruit begins budding after Tubishvat, we ascribe it to the rains of this year. Obviously, if it budded before Tubishvat, our assumption is that there has not been enough rain to make this fruit grow, and if it is growing, it's because of what was in the previous year. An alternative explanation is that this is the midpoint of winter, and as such, the coldness of the winter has peaked out. The earth is beginning to warm up, and as a result of that, things can now begin flowering and blossoming and growing, which once again explains why when fruits begin budding, we ascribe it to this year. As noted, the significance of this day in the Mishnah is essentially for the purposes of law, to ascertain how we should tithe our produce. Interestingly, it is only in the Middle Ages where all of a sudden this day begins to take on some type of festive note. Interestingly, we can see the beginnings of this in Ashkenaz, in Germany, where we have an injunction by the famous Rabbeinu Gershom, who lived in the ten hundreds, who basically said, we do not proclaim a fast day on the fifteenth day of Shvat, because it is called a new year. Similar to other new years where we don't fast. And this point was accepted and codified in the Shulchan Aruch by Rav Yosef Karo. Another early halachic authority in Germany, the Maharil, adds to this by saying that we don't say Tachanun, the special petitionary prayers that are said on regular occasions, that are not said on festive days or quasi-festive days. In fact, we find that there was actually a practice in the community of worms in the Middle Ages of giving the students a day off and where the teachers would actually have a small celebration, what we would call today a kiddush, and have a little cup, a little shot glass of whiskey and cake to somehow celebrate this day. Interestingly, Tubishvat began to take on its current dimensions with the Kabbalists of Tzvat, with the Ari and perhaps even more so with his disciples. This is in the 1600s, early 1600s, when there seems to have developed a practice of eating a whole variety of fruits of the land of Israel of somehow engaging in the study of their significance and perhaps in seeing in the eating of these fruits 
a possible what's called tikkun, corrective, for the original sin of eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eventually this practice developed in what became known as Seder Tu Bishvat, a whole ceremony, ritual, which in various ways echoes the Pesach Seder. And this spread initially in Ashkenazi circles, then to Sephardic circles, and eventually to Hasidic circles, who developed this idea even further of making this into a full-fledged celebration. In the late 1800s, when Jews began coming back to the land of Israel, there developed another practice of seeing Tu Bishvat in terms of a return to the land and a day of planting, cultivating the land. And to a great extent, these different customs which developed now are widespread both in the diaspora and in the land of Israel. In the land of Israel, it has become very popular, and this has been developed by the Karen Kayemet Israel, to do tree plantings on Tu Bishvat. And throughout the world, there have developed different modes, different forms of what would be called Seder Tu Bishvat. A whole ritual meal celebrating fruits. I would like to actually reflect on my earliest childhood memories of Tu Bishvat, having grown up in New York. We never had what could be called a Seder Tu Bishvat, but I always remember eating carob on Tu Bishvat. This was my memory of Tu Bishvat, eating carobs. And the assumption I had then, although I don't, I'm not sure, but I, I think it's reasonable, specifically that these were carobs that come from the land of Israel. And so I would like to actually look and a very interesting story that appears in the Talmud about a famous rabbi who is known as Choni Hamagel. This is from Masechet Ta'anit 23b. In fact, the way they get into the story is because of the Mishnah which appears earlier, which says that there was once a time when there was no rain, and they had decreed a fast, and they did not receive any response. And then the rabbis turned to Choni to pray for rain. And what Choni did was he drew a circle and went into the circle. And some people say that's why he's called Choni Hamagel, because Igul means a circle. Others say that Magel is because of his profession that he... Uh, would move a roller to smooth out the and plaster in his plastering of roofs. But in any event, the Mishnah accounts how Choni stood in the circle and in effect not only prayed to God, but was actually very, very belligerent, very provocative 
in demanding rain, and a, a rain that would be exactly the way that he wanted, not too little, not too much, rain that would supply all their needs, and in fact, God was responsive to his request. In that context, in the Talmud, they recount a story of Choni who was contemplating one of the Psalms which we're very familiar with that says that when the Jewish people were in the exile yearning, longing for their return this is after the destruction of the first temple it says Hayinu kechomim. we were like dreamers and Choni said how is it possible to speak of a period of 70 years as a dream. And then the Talmud recounts how one day Choni saw a man planting a carob tree. And he asked the man, how long does it take for these carobs to grow? And the response was 70 years. And he said, do you expect to actually eat of these fruits? And the answer was no. My children will eat of the fruits. But in the same way that when I came into the world, I was the beneficiary of what was planted before me, so too am I now perpetuating that to the benefit of my future generations. And the Talmud recounts how Choni fell asleep and then all of a sudden woke up. And we know it was in fact, 70 years later. And Choni is in the same orchard, and he sees a man who's eating the fruits, and he asks him, are you the one who planted this tree? And he says, no, it was actually my grandfather. And for the moment, we will end the story over here, because at that moment, he understood how 70 years could go by like a dream. Now, why am I bringing this story? Well, in this story, it seems to be that the carob tree becomes a very, very important symbol. It takes a very, very long time to produce fruits. And the people who plant the tree are not necessarily expecting to reap those fruits. Why are they doing it? Because they see themselves is part of a certain historical process, part of a certain continuity, because they see their role far beyond themselves as individuals and realize that existence does not begin nor does it end with them. But there was a past and there is a future. And perhaps the significance of that story is what we might call the dream of the Jewish people when they are in the exile. The realization that their roots, their history, their past was in the land of Israel, but that their future is also in the land of Israel. And that perhaps they have to be the link between the past and the future. And even if they are not able to actualize that future. They have to plant the seeds. They have to have the longing, the yearning, which will one day come to realization, perhaps in the lifetime of their grandchildren.
If I go back to Tzfat in the 1600s, or to maybe even earlier to Jewish communities that were in Germany, or maybe a little bit later to those communities that were afterwards in Eastern Europe, Tu Bishvat, for those communities became an expression of their yearning for the land of Israel, of their yearning for redemption, for somehow correcting the mistakes of the past in order to build a much brighter future. So when I go back to my own experience of eating the carobs, and when I was told these are carobs from the land of Israel, it was a very, very concrete way of reconnecting me with the land of Israel. And therefore, what I would like to leave you with today is that perhaps Tu Bishvat should be seen as the celebration of the land of Israel, of the praise of the land of Israel, of the yearning for the land of Israel. And perhaps today, for the Jews who are living in the land of Israel, of the what I would call proactive approach of living in the land of Israel, developing the land of Israel, making the desert bloom, making Israel a model to the nations. There is a very beautiful passage in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 36. Ezekiel, who is living in the aftermath of the destruction of the first temple, who describes how God had poured out his wrath on the land of Israel for all the sins which had been committed there, how God had scattered the Jewish people among the nations. God, in a very beautiful passage, tells Ezekiel, there will be a dramatic change. And God specifically speaks to the hills of Israel. This is chapter 36, verse 8. And he says, You, the hills of Israel, your branches will give forth, your fruits will be born to my people Israel, because their coming is close at hand. This verse was seen by a number of thinkers, and Rav Cook developed this as the sign, the impending sign, of the coming of the redemption. Namely, when the land of Israel begins to bloom again, when the land of Israel is bountiful, and in particular, in fruits, as we know, the seven species are essentially fruits, and that is the glory of the land of Israel. When that happens, that is the sign of the redemption of the Jewish people. That is the sign of the ingathering of the exiles. Today, in our lifetime, we have experienced this transformation of the land of Israel. The desert has bloomed. Today, Israel is abundant in its agriculture. And perhaps Tu Bishvat is the day to celebrate that. I would even add, 
Not only should people eat from the seven species, maybe you should make a concerted effort to eat Jaffa oranges, to eat avocados, to eat many of the other fruits that have been imported and absorbed in the landscape of the land of Israel, have flourished here. And when we celebrate that, we should then look further and see how the land is beckoning us, is welcoming us, inviting us to come back, inviting the Jewish people, come back home. Don't just eat our fruits. Become an active player in reconnecting the Jewish people with their land. Become an active player in creating what we call a Mamlechet Kohanim and a Goy Kadosh, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This should be the call to us to see what is happening as our opportunity to bring about the redemption. Our ancestors, who had to suffice with eating the fruits, who had to suffice with praying three times a day, to pray for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the ingathering of our exiles. Now is the time to reap these, reap the fruit and to actualize our destiny. Tu Bishvat Sameach. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Rabbi Schweiger. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. <laughs>